Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism. Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, and we have a great show today. It's the beginning of our three-part series called This Therapy, That Therapy. Okay, okay. There's no way I can cover all the therapies, but I thought what we could do is we could at least allocate three shows to the various behavior therapies, and again, I'm not going to be able to hit on all of them, but we'll we'll hit a couple of the main ones, a couple of the alternative ones. We'll just we'll do what we can to begin the process of helping you to understand what's out there, and from that thinking, I'm hoping that we equip the listener with a way of integrating the ideas and choosing for themselves what they want to, you know, what they want to take on, learn, become a professional in, or use for their child. So hi, I'm so happy to get started today. And uh, of course, remember, we always have many wonderful things at the end of the show, so you're not allowed to go away till we're done. Close to the end, we'll be doing the okay, okay, it's time for the great guest giveaway. And, um, of course, at the very end, the most favorite section of the show, stories from the road. Today's guest is Aaron DeLand. Um, he's actually somebody that's trained in a, a variety of approaches, aside from the therapy actually brings to homes. It, it's similar to myself in that I, you know, first I had to raise my own children and deal with my own difficulties like sensory integration disorder and stuff. And so I was researching from a vantage point of trying different things with my kids and with myself. And so my background is more varied than having just sort of fallen into one particular therapeutic approach and choosing it and sticking with it. Um, so I thought that would be our, a good first guest to have. In addition, I wanted to talk for a second about the 60 Minutes episode. Now, it just came out yesterday, but since I tape, you're not going to hear about me talk about it for a couple of weeks. It'll be a little bit like old news. However, for me today, it's very new news. Um, 60 Minutes did an episode on the iPad, and there's a particular app that several of my kids that I work with internationally are already using. Uh, and, it, and its intention is to work with helping children to have a voice and make it so that they can touch something and have the actual computer say, you know, the feeling or the activity they want. You know, I want to order bacon and uh, I feel happy about it. There was a, a gentleman on the 60 Minutes episode that reminded me of my son because he's quite low functioning. My other sons, as you know, if you're familiar with the show, have become independent, and my grandchildren as well. But one of my sons is still quite low-functioning and has just, in the last few years, gotten better and better at talking. So he's, you know, he's working his way. Well, of course, everybody called me after this episode, and they were all full of hope, and, and they're all like, this would be great for Dar. And, and um, it's so interesting to me how easy. People want to jump off of one thing onto another. So let's talk about this for a second before we get to my guest. And I I think it's a great thing to actually open the show with because Aaron will discuss a little bit about his feelings on, you know, working with toys versus working with the actual person. So very often when you hear the term play therapy, what it means is somebody sits there, not that fun, and hands you toys. 
that's not my idea of play therapy. And when you get a toy or a computer program or anything that lights up the child, very often the kids love the video games and that sort of thing. It's wonderful to say, hey, this really helps. This child really loves this. Look at the skills I can see. But be careful. Be cognizant. Be aware. When somebody embraces something like that, they're making a choice. They're choosing a trajectory in their life. And this is a social communication repetitious behavior disorder. Keep that in your mind as you work with your child and make choices. If the toy becomes more important than you, you have lost a piece of the therapeutic approach just so that you could see that there was some intelligence. Very often a problem with a presentation in autism or cerebral palsy or Rett's presents as very disabled. One assumes that that includes the brain. Um, even though Stephen Hawkins, you know, rolls around <laughs> existing and proving otherwise, uh, people still are easily fooled when they're trying to help their child and their child can't potty train. So there is an assumption that inside the cognitive abilities have been strongly affected, and sometimes they have. Sometimes, though, they haven't. And a great deal of information is going in and communicative ideas and language and vocabulary, but it isn't coming out. And if it does come out, it's coming out in scripts. So that appears to be someone who doesn't understand, even though it's really just um, a problem of how to bring communication out not necessarily how to think within the brain. This issue promotes a kind of treatment of the child that then sort of, you know, furthers the problem. So you think that the child can't do something and then you treat them as if they can't and then they, you know, don't learn how to get better at it or more sophisticated at it and so they can't. Along comes something like the iPad and voila, you know, the odd child go, starts using it and is able to communicate at a level that uh, nobody thought they could. And so the parents, their eyes open up and they see a, a new being in front of them. The professionals do the same. Sometimes the parents saw the new being all along and the professionals didn't. So it's, it, you never know where this is playing out. The point is, it's a beautiful thing to have any means whatsoever to allow it person and to prom allow a person to use what they know, to improve upon what they know, and to promote seeing this. But, and it's a big but, when you go, wow, look what's possible, and only follow that means of communication, you will create a child who uses that means of communication exclusively. And the problem with that means of communication is it's like putting your tongue in a suitcase and carrying it around. And if you forget your suitcase, you've lost your tongue. If you don't remember where you set it down, you've lost your tongue. If you're going to the bathroom and you want to yell, help, I, you know, I'm in here and I need some toilet paper, you can't because you've lost your tongue. You left it in the other room. So it is an issue. And what I suggest is that you take these methods and use them augmentively. With that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Aaron Delance. Hi, Aaron. Hi. I'm so glad that you had me on. Um, so, <laughs> so my background is that I am a relationship-based autism therapist. I've been working with families for about 12 years. It's been 
just incredible. And my focus is really based on building reciprocal relationships and interactions uh, with children on the spectrum as a way to sort of create a foundation for their social development. So let's get into it. First of all, you said relationships, so relationship-based. So explain that to me. Okay. So uh, as a lot of your listeners and you know, um, a lot of traditional autism therapy is based in sort of cognitive development and more um, a kind of a training experience for the child where you might sit down and, and help them acquire certain cognitive or academic skills and, and try to generalize that to the rest of the world. The approach that I use uh, is much more about playing using a child's natural motivation. Uh, for example, if a, a child is really um, a physical person, they like to uh, be chased and get piggyback rides and sort of that rough and tumble play, I'll use that to create interactive games where I'm, I'm the focus. So uh, if they want to really make that happen, they're really encouraged and inspired to use eye contact and gestures and language to sort of make me happen and make that experience of the, of the social relationship really enjoyable and, and get all that they can out of that. Okay, so now I have a million questions and things I want to get into and talk about. We're not going to fit them all in, so I'm just going to go by the seat of my pants here. Okay. Number one, um, I've certainly worked with you before. You're fantastic. And so when people say um, play-based, this is an interesting thing, so I'm also play-based, as you know. Yep. So, you know, sometimes I'm looking on the Internet, and you'll see a YouTube thing, and it'll say, you know, play therapy for autism. And I watch it, and there's nothing playful whatsoever about what I'm looking at. You know, all I see is they included some toys. So would you right. speak to that, please? Yeah, that's a great point, and I've, I've seen some of those videos myself. Um, yeah, and in fact, when I'm playing with a child, one thing that parents will notice quite a bit, and I do very, very intentionally, is I'm actually using sort of a minimal amount of toys. If anything, I might be using a prop like a blanket or a beanbag or sometimes a puppet. Um, and I do that because I want the focus to be on me. Because play, in my mind, and I think in yours as well, is, is more about the interaction between uh, the two people, or, you know, the two children or whoever's involved in it, and less about uh, the, the toy. You know, in fact, I, one of the articles I wrote was entitled, It's Not About the Toy, just to sort of plainly say it. Um, I, so I look at that as almost competition to me in a way. So uh, take today, for instance, I was working with a little girl. She's very much into strawberry shortcake and all of these other, you know, characters that go along with that. So if I were to bring in, you know, this really amazing battery-operated uh, strawberry shortcake toy, she, you I'm can not go for lunch. <laughs> right, exactly. She'd be fine, but we wouldn't be playing. She would be playing with the toy and not me. And so instead right. what I was doing was I was drawing strawberry shortcake. I, you know, she had a wig in there. I pretended to be strawberry shortcake. I, you know, I, I wanted to bring it all back to me because, you know, the, the, the toys and the games and all of that is just a platform for us to have a back and forth and for us to develop a reciprocal, uh, uh, relationship. So that's that's more what I mean when I say play. Okay, and given that autism has is a very large part of its disorder, a challenge with interaction and uh, friend-making social challenges, it seems like a good idea to me, and I like this as well. 
But I do want to use the fact that you have a background in ABA. And so ABA, for those who don't recognize that, is Applied Behavioral Analysis. And when Erin refers to sort of a skill acquisition approach, I believe you're referring to something like that, correct? Yes, that is correct, okay. yeah. Okay. Why did you leave? Uh, so, so you worked in ABA for a while, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked in ABA for about two and a half years. I worked in sort of your classic low-cost-style disc, uh, discrete trial. I worked mm-hmm. in um, verbal behavior, which is sort of an offshoot of that, and then a uh, lesser well-known therapy called fluency, but they all have sort of that same behavioral philosophy. Okay, so... Since you've had all that background and you've been able to kind of see and and interact in various ways with these kids, what made you land with the beliefs that you have now? Like when you compare the two or did you mix it all together? Well, uh, you know, when I think back to those days, I've always really just sort of loved these kids that I've been working with. I've been fascinated by them. I felt like they're, you know, funny and interesting and just great. And... At the time, when I was working in ABA, I wasn't really enjoying myself in terms of the work that I had to do. The kids most of the time didn't really enjoy it. I felt like it was this sort of uh, this struggle, you know, kind of button heads a lot uh, with flashes of enjoyment, you know, where we could sort of play and always <laughs> go back and sort of do this thing that neither of us really wanted to do. And while I definitely saw kids acquire uh, a skill set, whether it was labels of things or self-help skills, I never really saw uh, the social enjoyment piece come around. I never really saw kids approaching people just to because they want to have fun with them and play with them. It was like once the discrete trial piece was over or whatever skill we were working on was done, you know, they were off and they were doing their own thing and they didn't really, you know, uh, with some exception, but for the most part, they really didn't want to hang out. They didn't want to play. And I always thought that that was kind of odd since, you know, the whole, like you said, at the core of this challenge is, is uh, basically enjoying social interaction and developing deeper relationships. Uh, so that's when I started a relationship-based approach and where it really didn't focus on cognitive academic, but more building that, you know, fire in the belly for a child to want to be with me because I'm fun, because they enjoy that experience. Okay, so uh, we both have trained in a variety of things. I did most of it as a mother, and you did Mm -hmm. it as a therapist, Mm -hmm. which was really kind of interesting. Um, And we trained at the same place for play in this, you know, so we've sort of evolved along the same lines. And I can actually say to you the exact same words. What I didn't like when Mm -hmm. I had to do what we were calling behavioral modification in Canada was how I felt, that there was only flashes of enjoyment, and we didn't have uh, just plain love and fun happening. Mm-hmm. So um, with that in mind, I also mix everything that I ever learned in, though, when I work with kids. Now, do you do that, or do you just stay very rigidly to a play-based approach? Like if you run into a, a child that's not responding, talk to me about that. What do you do with all those skills you earned? Right. Well, um, there to for the most part, I stick with a relationship-based, and I've been learning a lot about developmentally-based, which is similar and, and also employs a lot of um, play. And what I've come to realize is that a lot of, or most, if not all of the major 
uh, treatments that are out there, whether it's ABA or you know floor time or RDI or any of these things, they're all basically working on the same thing. It, and it really is kind of just you know many roads to Mecca, and everybody's sort of doing their own thing, and everybody's touting you know my way is the best way. And what I've come to realize in the last few years is that for a really effective home program, which is what I help parents put together, is it's less about doing something purely and more about what, what actually works, what is going to help this child and all. So again, using the child I work with today as an example, they are running a hybrid program where the little girl does some ABA uh, and they've also hired me to come in and do um, some play-based stuff. And I've seen this combination in a few areas where a child is really learning a lot from their ABA language and you know all these really great skills and what tends to be missing is is them then using that spontaneously um, or them really initiating for social reasons like they have a lot of skill but you just don't see a lot of it kind of generalize or, or become spontaneous uh, and so the piece that I provide is more about helping them use that in a more proactive way and you know so there are families that I work with that, that sort of share that uh, combination. Me personally, I don't go too much into the ABA stuff. You know, sometimes I might make some requests and things like that, but that's about as close as I get to anything that would be considered um, truly behavioral, I would say. But do you find, and I, I'm not, I have no idea what your answer is going to be here. Ah, I know. <laughs> do, you, do you find that... Um, Having had this background, when you are trying to help the child generalize and you know that they're running a hybrid program, do you find your knowledge at least is something that you can pull from in order to help with the generalization? Yeah, in that it helps me, it helps me understand how they have acquired that skill. So, for instance, if they, uh, if they like this little girl today, um, she she had really nicely acquired this skill of commenting. So she told me she really liked my flip-flops. I was <laughs> like, great, that's awesome. And, and she made a few other comments. Like that. What I started to notice is that most of the time it, it really came after I had said something or I had complimented something. And so she was kind of a little, she was a little prompt dependent on me saying something first and there really wasn't a lot of eye contact with it. So recognizing the value of like, okay, she's making these comments and they're conversational. Um, you know, what can I bring to that to enrich it? And so understanding that she probably learned that under a heavily requested uh, scenario where somebody's asking her to say something and, you know, giving her a reward or however they had it structured. And so what, what I see is sort of the missing link more is just making it more spontaneous and helping her use eye contact as she's telling me this. and that's where, you know, I can be really silly and be really animated and, and be really fun so that she's, she's drawn to me and it sort of leaps out of her because she can't help but look at me as she says those things. And, and there's, you know, this spark of emotion now that comes along with what she's saying. And, uh, and so I think it's helped me in that way uh, to understand the other piece that's going on for her and not to sit and say, well, we shouldn't be doing that in my way is the high or the highway, but, right, right, but right, really, right. How, can I, how can I collaborate with that? And I think understanding ABA 
having that background has really helped me um, in the families that I work with when I do come into that situation. You're listening to a new spin on autism. Answer. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. And we are having a great time with This Therapy, That Therapy, first of a three-part series. Right now we're talking with Erin Zeland, and coming up we are going to be talking with a great guest giveaway. So make sure you hang in for that. And, of course, at the very end we've got stories from the road. Well, okay, so now... We have to tell, we each have to tell like an actual story because it's always more interesting for people when we're not all general about our therapy. So I'm going to tell an actual story about you. And then, okay. <laughs> and then you can tell an actual story about your, I'm giving you warning before, you know, like I'll give you a little warning. Yeah, yeah. Like um, maybe the the cutest, most, most adorable moment or the most surprising moment, just Something very personal with a child you worked with. So um, I've worked tandem with with Aaron in the past, where we were both working with the same child. Sometimes, actually, a couple of times in the room together, playing with the child. But most often, he's in, I'm out, I'm in, he's out. And uh, we haven't done that in a long time. But I do, <laughs> I have a memory of I had been working with a boy, and you know we've been making some good progress and going along and. Um, I suggested that, that maybe it would be a good idea to have Aaron come over because there's this thing about guys, you know, us women, we're, we're working our butt off, but boy, a guy comes along and the kids go, oh, it's a man, he's going to play with me, he's so special. <laughs> and, so, and so all us women are always jealous of that, but anyway, so Aaron comes along and I'm having a little attitude thinking, yeah, just because he's a guy, he's probably going to talk for him. So <laughs> I'm watching and Aaron's playing literally with a blanket, as he just said. And he's got the blanket on the floor, and the child has to get on the blanket, and he'll get spun around. And, um, you know, he has to say the word in order to motivate the blanket spin ride. And and I'm watching, and I play this kind of game all the time, and I put kids on my back. And I'm watching, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's really good at this. And I'm watching a little longer, and yeah, he's really good at it. And I'm looking at him, and I'm watching, and he's still really good at this. And oh, look at the sweat on him. And he is still really good at this. <laughs> So I have to take my hat off to you because I swear I would have needed a 500 massages after that session I watched. <laughs> and it's one of the things you always did two things really wonderfully. One, you um, you will just keep on it, and it's it's physically taxing, and your attitude and your joy is always very obvious with the kids, and you just stay very clear and you stay with the same name. Whereas with me, I very often go, I think I'll change games. This is really starting to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, you are a guy, you're stronger, and I'm older than you. So um, <laughs> that you know who I'm talking about. We don't have to name yeah. names, but it was a wonderful yeah, yeah. session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, I that. oh you're more than welcome. Uh, All right, so that's a recommendation. Erin's <laughs> um, fantastic. Okay, tell me a story. Okay, so uh, one one experience I have that will just stay with me forever, and it's one of those moments where I, you know, sometimes you just sort of see the synapse change, and you sort of see the, you know, sort of the evolution in a child's development. Me and a little boy, uh, Eddie, you know, he was this very 
very autistic young man when we first started working, very flitty attention span. He just couldn't, he couldn't stay with you. If he said to you something to you, it was two words in a flash. And I've been working with him for maybe a year and a half, and he'd come a long way. He was able to play. His sentence was getting a little longer. There's still something sort of missing. I remember one, one day, he was really into his train. We've got this little magnetic train set, and we had built this hill that went up. And he was also into the, the little engine that could. So I, I got this little row of trains, and he's sitting on one side of the tracks, and I'm sitting on the other, and I'm down low, sort of about eye contact level. And I'm bringing the train up, and I'm saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And they almost get to the top, and I let them go, and they crash down, and he thinks it's hysterical, and we, you know, we both die laughing. And we do this maybe two or three times. And, you know, he's, he's just giggling, he's laughing up a storm. And I noticed that his focus started to shift. He was really focused on the trains up until this point. And he looks over into my eyes, and he's smiling with his eyes. There's this expression on his face like, hey, I am enjoying this with you. And I get that this is enjoyable because you are here and you are doing this, this with me. And it was all communicated in this look and his glance. And uh, that game comes in this other game where we're sort of running around and, and, and being physical with each other. And he just lets out. It's like he couldn't contain it anymore. And he just says, Aaron, I love this. <laughs> and it was the, for the first time he had ever expressed anything uh, like that about, sure. yeah, about interacting with somebody and how it was making him feel. And I swear from that day forward, every time I, I showed up at the house, he was waiting at the front door and he couldn't wait to tell me what he had been doing. And it was just this fundamental shift. And so, you know, I, I get emotional just thinking and talking about it and it and you know that is really um why i do this when i yeah. get to the of it yeah that's why we that's my, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah you know well, that's that awesome that's a great story thank you i'm going to say goodbye in one second so well not literally but um so i'm going to ask you to give away something please sure absolutely um, well, well, first of all, let me just put out there that anybody um, who hasn't worked with me before, there uh, a free half-hour phone consultation is available. Um, but I'll also uh, go ahead and put up two um, hour-long video feedbacks. Um, those are normally uh, $150. Expensive. Great. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so how um, they'll do that is they'll have to email you and it would be the first two people, and they would say what in the subject line, and where did they email you? Uh, Aaron Deland at Mac.com. Okay. I'll also, by the way, put that on the site in case they don't catch that. Um, and I also want to tell people, by the way, in the subject line, put um, Eddie. Okay? Yeah. There you go. Okay. Perfect. All right. And yeah. I want to tell people, you know, because this is a podcast, sometimes folks tell me later they were going to try and get the free giveaway, but they thought it was too late. No, no, no. Everyone's yeah. hearing it as a podcast. <laughs> try. Just try. Well, Just try. Yeah, and even, and even if they miss out on the video feedback, they're still eligible for the half-hour console. Right, so, beautiful. So. 
Excellent. And just your last minute to maybe, you know, say um, one word of advice, just one nugget, something that you think makes a big difference. I would say, and this is one of the biggest things I've learned in the last couple of years, is if you sit and you watch a child with autism, their their experience, and this is, I'm not, you know, you can't make a blanket statement, but for most kids that I've encountered, throughout their lives and throughout their day, they have an experience in their uh, interactions of being requested from a lot. And one thing I tell all my clients is to understand how uh, a request and how an opportunity interacts differently with their child and their development. When you are requesting from your child, you're helping them practice to be a responder. And when you're creating opportunity, you're helping them be a proactive partner. And so not that they have to go through and kill themselves over this, but just to be aware at school they're being requested from. In, you know, a lot of the therapy that they're doing, they're being requested from. And then even in their home life, they're being requested from questions, tasks, those sorts of things. So to be aware of that and to really set time aside where you're just playing without requesting. You're just playing to have fun and you're leaving plenty of space for your child to come to you. Very cool. Now that's a nice ending. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you for having me. It was great. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Okay, okay, okay. It is time for the Great Guest Giveaway. And today we have a unique guest on. I thought since we're doing this therapy, that therapy, that the guest giveaway should be somebody that's got a product that's kind of light and fun and very interesting. So I met this gentleman at a conference I was at, and he introduced me to his product, and I thought, perfect. Let me follow up and see if he wants to give away a gift. And he said, yes, so he's here. His name is Steve Agar. He's he's actually trademarked and authored Norkey and the various products. I think I'm going to let him tell you all about it. So here he is. Hi, Steve. Hi. Well, thank you, Lynette. This uh, Once again, this is Steve Agar. And actually, I'm the creator and the uh, patent owner of, uh, it's called the Norkey Polar Ball. And uh, a lot of autism individuals use it. What it is, it's a Velcro glove and a Velcro football. And it throws in its sticks, so it builds up motor skills, eye and hand coordination. And the same glove, they can be left-handed or right-handed. And you can also play with this in the pool, in the water. And it's a great physical therapy product. Um, Also, it's recommended by um, PE teachers. uh, And it's just a lot of fun. The good thing about the Norky Polar Ball is that you can play with someone else, or you can play it by yourself. In other words, you can throw the ball up and down. You can catch it. You can you can flip the ball up and down. And so sometimes when you're catching the ball, if for some reason you can't catch on the front of the glove, you can always catch on the back of the glove. And it's called the Norky Polar Ball. The child has gloves on that have like a Velcro strip, right? And it's sort of like, I, I know there's that, that toy where it's like a paddle and you can throw a ball and catch it with the paddle because of the Velcro and the fabric. Is it a similar idea to that? But yes, it's similar, but this is more unique because of the fact that this is an actual glove. So you can actually bend your fingers. You know, it builds up those motor skills for that and the eye and hand coordination. And you have more and more ability regarding with your hand. Instead of just putting your hand up with, like, the paddle 
and the tennis ball, you know, that's all that is. But with this, with the uh, Norky Polar Ball, since it's a glove, the same glove can fit either the left hand or the right hand because it has Velcro on the front, on the palm, and also on the back. You know, I'm thinking about the autistic kids, and a lot of them haven't even chosen their handedness, so this would be, this is marvelous, actually. You could have one in each hand, um, and then it just sticks and helps with the coordination and the concept of success. So the lower-functioning kids would really benefit from this. Yeah, and you, you won't believe just the smiles on their face when they catch the ball. Because a lot of times when, when, uh, when individuals work with, uh, uh, with people, a lot of times you throw it to somebody and you drop the ball and, and therefore that's, you know, disappointment. But with the Norky Polar ball, <laughs> you throw the ball and, and nine out of ten times they're going to catch it. Okay, and it sticks. And the nice thing is then you just see amazement of the smiles just looking at that they caught it. And, and, and the nice part about it is that after they catch it, they just look at it, and then they're allowed to use their other hand to take the ball off the glove. And then, and then so there's that interaction there. So it helps build up that eye and hand coordination. And It's a toy that encourages interaction. It's not a toy that takes the child away into pushing buttons and watching lights flash, but actually says, hey, you know, I'm going to play with a person, so I'm going to improve my coordination, and I'm also going to improve my ability to play with someone. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's correct. And also sometimes they can, what they do is sometimes they do it by themselves. They, they, they start learning unique tricks or whatever, and they're so excited that they actually want to show another individual what they've been able to do. And so, therefore, it, it, uh, there's the participation that gets involved with the interaction with other individuals. Okay, and what's Norky? When you say Norky, why the word oh, Okay, Norky? well, <laughs> yeah, we call it the Norky Polyball. The reason why I call it Norky is because Norky is a special character who actually appears at the Autism Walks. He also appears at the Abilities Expos. And Norky is uh, a creation, part penguin, part eagle, so he can swim and fly. And his favorite game and activity is actually the Norky Polar Ball. And so when he goes to the autism walks or he goes uh, to the Abilities Expo as a special guest, um, a lot of the uh, kids and adults come up and they have interaction and they just love hugging the character and whatnot. And he just gives that extra fun and excitement uh, just, to, just to be involved with things. And that's, well, that's, and that's Norky. That's really cool. That's really cool. Okay, so we only have a couple of minutes. I want people right. to know how to get their giveaway, how many you're willing to give, all and right. share share your website and all of that information with us right now, please. Okay, so all you listeners out there, this is what you need to do. Okay, you first of all, check out these two websites. One is www.norky.com, and the other one is www.polarball.com. That's www.p is in Paul, O-L-A-R. B as in ball, A-L-L dot com. Check that out. And then what you need to do is send an email to norky at norky.com with the subject in the subject line, a new spin on autism. Make sure you put that in the subject line. And the first five participants that email that will get a complimentary ball and glove. Wonderful. They have to 
That's very important. Okay. Steve, thank you so much, and I'm excited, and I hope lots of people take advantage of this. Guys, Christmas is coming. This is a great gift. All right, yeah, Steve. Well, and I appreciate you having me on, Lynette. And I appreciate you coming on. Good luck with all your projects. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Aaron. That was awesome. Thank you so much to Steve. What a great show. Okay, everybody, it's time for the one, the only. Stories from the road. <laughs> I love doing that. Okay. I have a child from Texas that I worked with. And uh, it was interesting. When I first met him, he had a thing called a Dynavox. And he had, he had a means similar to what the iPad is doing. He had a means of communicating to people by pushing in different things on this machine that would say, you know, happy, sad, breakfast, lunch, whatever it is that he had programmed into it or was a preset, he could communicate that way. He could also communicate with signs. So he was well able to communicate. He was quite bright. He was a, a participant in the family as far as, you know, he would get his own breakfast and that sort of thing. His mom would have to nudge him. Most of his communication was scripted, even though it wasn't coming out his mouth. He was still scripting, so... He would sign the same thing over and over again, and his mom would translate it over and over again. And he would also use the instrument to script and uh, say the same thing over and over again. So he had a lot of the autism problems in communication despite the extra, uh, the extra tools. So when I met him, the parents were interested in helping him to talk. And... He was often having temper tantrums and crying fits because of this issue with losing his tool and being stuck in stuck in the script of the sign. And so what 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 I felt needed to happen, and understand I'm using neurofeedback. So when I bring my therapy to a client and add neurofeedback, it is a lot easier for me to create change than it is strictly from play alone. Everything goes a little faster for me. So I do have a little bit of a of a one-up on the parents uh, in that sense until I equip them with the neurofeedback as well. Still, the, the, the reasons behind the story are the same. This beautiful child, he's a big boy. He, you know, came up to my chin and kind of a hefty little guy, really loving. And the reasons behind my choices stay the same regardless of the neurofeedback. If signing and, and his Dynavox and whatever methods he uses for pointing to letters are the way he communicates, the only way he communicates, the only expected way for him to communicate, then he is going to be the child who communicates this way. And my approach is not to remove these things from the child, ever, or the adult. My approach, though, is to use those as clues to what is wanted. So if the child signs, for example, uh, apple, and I say, oh, that's the sign for apple. Say apple. Now, even if only a uh comes out, we know the uh was not just a grunt. It was an attempt at the A in apple. And we know that because the sign helped us. If this is not approached this way, you don't continue to build towards verbal language. And even the smallest amount of verbal language can be huge in a child's ability to speak to you from another room, to attend to what you're saying. 
So I would never just take these augmented devices like PEX and all the different, if you don't know what PEX is, it's a picture that a child brings to you to say what they want. I never use those as means of communication. I use those as clues for means of communication because I already believe that the intellect is intact. Even if it isn't, I don't lose that way. So I just walk in believing that. In, the, in this case, this little boy who was diagnosed with neuronal growth migration disorder, as well as autism, um, he's a twin. And uh, his, his twin is, you know, functioning on neurotypical levels. So that's another challenge for the family to see one go one way and one go the other. And this beautiful child, he was just so affectionate and so wonderful. And I literally interfered with his communication device. I was constantly going, oh, good. Well, let's put that down and let's try and say it. And that sort of thing and playing with him. And what I want to share with you in this story is that by the time I left, I was there for three days. And here I am getting in the way, in a sense of what he's used to for talking. He would sign and I'd say, oh, that's what you already signed. Um, so maybe you want to say something else. And how about this word? And then we'd do that sign and then we'd work on that word. You would think that that would create more tantruming if you don't understand the concepts here. But in fact, it did the opposite. All of, all of his body language changed and he relaxed and he became more comfortable and began to communicate, started bringing me gifts. In fact, you know, the cutest thing of all was that he filled my car completely with every single stuffed animal he had and cried if I tried to give them back on the last day. So I had to put them in a garbage bag down the road and have his parents pick it up. So here's this beautiful big teddy bear of a boy that can, can barely speak anything. Um, and when I arrived, could speak nothing. And... He's just delighted and and adoring what I'm bringing to the table because he's being treated as if he talks and can talk and that there's just um, a lot of difficulty getting there. So seeing intelligence in your child despite what appears to be true not judging the book by the cover is today's answer. You can do no harm treating your child as if you think they're smart but are challenged by their ability to work with you. You'll still ask them to practice. You'll still um, say, okay, you have trouble talking. I know you're a smart boy, so let's work on talking rather than treat him or her like a child who doesn't understand, which is insulting and causes a lot of tantrums. And by the way, that boy has some very basic, very, you know, fundamental verbal skills. So now, if he's stuck in the bathroom and there's no toilet paper, he can at least say, Mom, hope! And he doesn't have to feel lost. So these are, these are important skills. It's called total communication. Use it that way. That's today's answer. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, and this is a new spin on autism answers. Thank you for joining me because if you weren't listening, I'd just be talking to myself. 
And remember, next week, this therapy, that therapy, part two. Bye.